Period. If you're visiting with us today, we are happy to have you and we invite you to come back anytime you can be here with us at McCornsville. <clears throat> it was a 4th of July weekend and a certain family had gathered together for a big meal. In the kitchen, there was a little four-year-old boy. And there on the edge of the cabinet was the one thing he loved so very, very much. It was a big, round, sure-to-be-juicy watermelon. And he just couldn't stop staring at it, looking at it. But everybody had told him to leave it alone. They said that mom and dad would cut it up later. They told him that it would be too hard for him to lift it. And if he tried, he might drop it and it would break open on the floor. So the rest of the family felt sure that he, he understood the danger so everybody went on about, about their business. That is, until there was a big, loud thump. And there he was, the watermelon on the floor, cracked open, splattered all over the kitchen floor. Everybody turned around and they could see what happened. But before anybody could say or do anything, the four-year-old looked up and he said, well, I never saw that coming. Now why did that little boy do what he did? He did what he did because he wanted that watermelon and he wanted that watermelon right now. He couldn't understand why the object of his desire should be denied him. For that little boy, that watermelon represented pleasure. But when he tried to take hold of that pleasure, everything fell apart. And you know that's really what Solomon is saying to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. And what does pleasure accomplish? Today's sermon is the third in the series that I'm doing on the subject of counterfeit gods. In the introduction sermon back in January, we said in that sermon that idolatry isn't just a problem of ancient times, but it's still a problem in our time and in our lives today. We said that idolatry is a sin that's mentioned or referred to in the Bible about 1,500 times. We said that anything can become an idol when it takes a place in our hearts and lives that belongs only to God. We study the first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, where God commanded that we have no other gods before Him, or more accurately, besides Him. The one true God, Jehovah God, must be our only God. 
And then in the second sermon in the series last month, in February, we began the study of six counterfeit gods that Satan uses in the battle for our hearts. And as we said in that sermon, those six things on the screen that can become counterfeit gods are not sinful or evil in and of themselves. In fact, all six of those things have the potential to be blessings and good gifts from God. But they can be turned into counterfeit gods if we misuse or mishandle them. And as I mentioned to you in that sermon, we're going to put these six counterfeit gods that we're studying, we're going to put them in this series into three temples. The temple of power, the temple of love, and the temple of pleasure. So in that second sermon last month, we began in this temple, the temple of pleasure. And we studied about the little G God of food. And as I mentioned to you, that was a subject that I had never, ever preached an entire sermon on before. And I had a number of good and positive comments from the church here about that sermon, and I do appreciate those. So today, we're going to stay in this temple the temple of pleasure. And we're going to study about the counterfeit little g-god of entertainment. You know, in our world today as a whole, and certainly in American life, one of the biggest idols that has consumed the hearts and minds of a great, great many people is the God of entertainment. So often, we look to the God of entertainment to make us feel happy, fulfilled, and alive. The God of entertainment consumes our time, our money, our devotion, and yes, our mind. Today, the average American family spends $2,564 per year just on entertainment. Television, computers, smartphones, tablets, gaming systems, Alexa, and Google Assistant all of those can bring the little g-god of entertainment right into the privacy of our own homes so that it can be adored and followed every single day. Now I know that we have several heavy-duty sports fans here in our congregation. And you may not like what I'm going to say today, but I'm still going to say it. Sports today has so engulfed our culture and our lives that a person's favorite sports team can often control their schedules and their moods. And even their happiness can be determined by whether or not their team has won or lost. Now, when that happens in a person's life, if that happens in your life, then the little G God of sports has taken over.
sadly, many, many people today know a lot more about the lives of famous athletes and movie stars and performers than they know about the life of Christ and about God and His Word. All of this and a whole lot more is evidence that our minds and our hearts and our lives have become distorted by our obsession with entertainment. And let me say to you again right here that entertainment is not wrong in and of itself. Just like the little g-god of food in the sermon last month. Entertainment can also be a blessing and a good gift from God. But you know, Satan can take God's good gifts and twist them into something that draws us away from God. So it isn't wrong to watch television or to go to a movie if we're careful and mindful about what we're watching in the light of what the Bible teaches. And it isn't wrong to be a fan of a certain sports team or to have hobbies and interests that entertain us like hunting, fishing, camping, gardening, and a thousand others. But all of those things must be put in the right perspective to our relationship with God. You know, one surefire indication that the God of entertainment often takes priority over God the Father is the way that many people, and yes, even in the church, Many people give way more time, attention, money, and effort toward their entertainment rather than toward their relationship with God. Let me emphasize to you those four things that we just mentioned, and I hope you'll think hard about them today. Time Attention, money, and effort. Here is an article that I ran across by accident in my research and study for this sermon. It was written by a member of the church named Roddy Covington. He may be a gospel preacher, I'm not sure. But I want to read it to you. And it's going to be on the screen so you can follow along. And I think the point of the article will be obvious as we read it. The article is titled, I Saw My Brethren at the Ball Game. On a very cold fall evening, my family and I decided to go to the local high school football game. I knew there would be some familiar faces there, but I didn't expect to see so many members of the church who were so dedicated to such an important cause. At the football game, I saw a sister in the congregation whose poor physical condition had kept her from attending the services of the church. She had not been present for the services in months. She was sitting next to a family who had brought some visitors that had unexpectedly dropped in, so they all came to the game together. Even though the temperature that night was extremely cold and uncomfortable, not one single person left before the game was over, including overtime. Nor did any of them complain. 
but they actually seem to enjoy the longer period of play. I also saw some of the players' parents who had to make special arrangements with their bosses at work so they could attend every game. Most of the brethren there knew the names and numbers of every player on the team. When the marching band played the fight song, they sang so loudly that they could have been heard clear across town. When the game was over, many of them got together to discuss the game and talk about next week's game with eager anticipation. They were in no hurry to leave. As I contemplated the things that I had seen, I thought about how unkind it would be to visit or call one of these members if he or she ever missed a game. I thought about how offensive it might be to tell them that the team needed their support financially and spiritually. However, I knew that such would never, ever be necessary. For these members displayed such devotion, dedication, and determination that neither rain, wind, snow, Fear of COVID, nor herd of buffalo, could keep them from supporting their team in person every single time the gates were open. I left the scene feeling overwhelmed with the dedication that members of the church can display when they really want to. And then he ends the article with a a P.S. The preceding event is fiction, but the principles are often true. Why is it that we can so easily offer a great many sacrifices to the little G God of entertainment, but we often give so little of our time, our attention, our money, and our effort to God the Father. The little g-gods of football, baseball, basketball, soccer, golf, and other sports are not the only entertainment deities. You know, the God of video games is a big one today. Studies show that nearly one in ten kids between the ages of eight and 18 could be classified as addicted to video games. The little g-god of social media is another popular God for many people today. You know, social media is an example of a technology that can have some benefits for many people. Take Facebook, for example. Facebook allows people to connect and interact with others online. And that can be a blessing to people who are housebound and shut-ins, who can't physically communicate with people as often as others can. It allows people to easily post news and information online where others can see it, maybe share it, which happened to me a couple of weeks ago when my dog made his great escape and he was found and returned by a couple of good Samaritans from Cookville just passing through who saw my post post on Facebook that someone had shared. 
It allows live streaming video of events like church services, which we do, we try to do on Facebook for every service. And that can be a benefit for people who are really and truly sick and not physically able to attend. Now, having said that, I personally have some issues with Facebook because of the political bias they have and the censorship they sometimes engage in. But you know, the problem with all social media is the same problem that can happen with other forms of entertainment. It can be misused and mishandled and turned into something that can draw us away from God. I want you to think about the amount of time, the amount of time that many people today spend on the major social networks, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and there are several others. Last year in 2021, 4.2 billion, with a B, billion people worldwide use social media. That's about 55% of the world's population. Worldwide, people spend an average of two hours and 32 minutes per day on all forms of social media. In the United States, it's two hours and four minutes per day. And here is a, a breakdown of how much time people spend on those five social networks that we mentioned. The average person spends an average of 44 minutes per day on YouTube, 35 minutes per day on Facebook, 33 minutes per day on Instagram, 10 minutes per day on Twitter, and 31 minutes per day on TikTok. Now that last one, TikTok, is the fastest growing social media platform out of those five. It's very popular with the younger generation. And parents... It's mainly short videos that are said to be extremely addictive. And just last week, I believe on Wednesday, eight states, including Tennessee, opened a nationwide investigation into TikTok and its possible harmful effects on the mental health of children and teenagers who use it. And by the way, the TikTok app is owned by a company in China. Teenagers spend the most time on social media, like TikTok, with a daily average of three hours. Some of us spend up to nine hours a day on social media. You know, if we take that average daily time in the U.S. for all social media of two hours and four minutes, and we multiply that by 365 days, that's an average of 754 hours per year of social media time. Now only you can answer these questions for yourself or your family because you should know about how much time you and your family spend on social media. But think about this. Are we spending more time today on social media 
than we do in our personal, private Bible study at home. Are we spending more time on social media than we are on other things that might be more productive and constructive? You see, social media has become a little g-god for a great many people today. And that can and probably does include members of the church. And maybe that includes some of you. The God of TV is another widely popular God of entertainment. The average American watches more than four and a half hours of television every day. And some a lot more than that. So what's the purpose of entertainment? Think about the fact that life Life as God made it is full of entertaining things. For example, how can we not be entertained by God's creation? How do you think God intends for us to respond to the sight of a rainbow? And no, it's not meant to be a symbol of gay pride. But it's God's promise in the text, the Caleb read in Genesis 9, that the world will never again be destroyed by water. How do you think God intends for us to respond to a, to a beautiful mountain scene? Or to the ocean? or to the galaxies. You see, God didn't give us just a, a bare, boring place to live. He gave us a universe of great wonders all around us. Our God is a God of joy. And He wants us to know that joy. 1 Timothy 6.17 says that he gives us richly all things to enjoy. But as with all things, the problem comes, the problem happens when we turn the gifts that God has given us into our focus and purpose, our end goal and the things that we worship. And that's called idolatry. Solomon that we mentioned at the beginning was one of the great characters of the Old Testament. And Solomon gives us an account of what happened when he focused his life on the pursuit of entertainment. Solomon was the son of King David, the third king of Israel. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes is really basically a journal that he kept while he pursued entertainment, looking for pleasure and purpose in life. We already mentioned what he wrote in one of his early, early entries. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Solomon had incredible wealth and power. And he spared no expense to entertain himself. In Ecclesiastes 2 verse 2, Solomon says that he began... He began with the pursuit of laughter, but he found no pleasure in it. In verse 3 of that chapter, he tried the life of wine and partying, and he quickly discovered its emptiness. 
In verses 4 through 6 in that chapter, Solomon tried to entertain himself with great building projects, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, reservoirs, but they didn't satisfy. In verse 8, he brought in male and female singers for his entertainment. But in the end, in the end, he says in verse 11, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now there was nothing wrong with some of those entertainments that he mentioned. But the problem was that he was trying to turn some good things into the main thing. Solomon was looking for the meaning of life in amusement. But amusement is nothing but, you could say, a sideshow. It's not the main event. Solomon used an expression 29 times in Ecclesiastes as he described the boundaries of his search for purpose and meaning in life. And that expression that he used 29 times is under the sun. Solomon said that he had looked everywhere under the sun. He had seen many things under the sun, but he had found no meaning under the sun. So it's no wonder that he was tired and frustrated and and empty because his sights were set too low. What Solomon was really needing and looking for is out there, but it's not found under the sun. Ultimately, the little g gods of pleasure cannot satisfy our deepest needs and desires. What we need the most cannot be found through the pleasures of food or entertainment or other pleasures. What we need the most is God himself. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, that's exactly the conclusion that Solomon reached. In chapter 12, verse 13, he said, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Augustine said it well nearly 15 centuries ago. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Let me also say to you this morning that the God of entertainment has not only taken many people captive to worldly entertainment that we've already mentioned, but the God of entertainment has also taken over much of what people think of today as Christian worship. And folks... This is happening in congregations that call themselves churches of Christ. You know, in the days of the apostles in the New Testament, the early church sang a cappella, which means without any instruments of music. The church today should strive to be identical identical to the church that we read about in the New Testament. Before we practice anything, we should verify that it was practiced and done by the first century church. No Bible scholar that I know of says that the early Christians used instruments of music. 
No Bible verse records it. In Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3, 16 on the screen, the Apostle Paul by inspiration plainly says that when we make music in our worship to God, it is to be through singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. After the New Testament church was established on Pentecost in 33 AD, several centuries passed before instruments began to be used. The organ is thought to have been the first musical instrument used in religious worship. And that's believed to have been done by the Catholic Church in 666 AD. Some Bible scholars believe that instruments were first used even later than that. Most Protestant denominations did not use instruments until the 1800s. So here's my point. Church history, church history is firmly on the side of a cappella singing only. But you know, today, in our entertainment-oriented world, many churches are trying to outdo each other with more and more elaborate, unscriptural, unauthorized additions to worship. And folks, that's all happening in the name of entertainment. What started out as special music sung by a choir, which itself is unscriptural, has now become a full orchestra with professional singers and musicians. What started out as an organ or a piano is now a full band, flashing lights and smoke. And today we have something, something called praise worship, where groups lead the worshipers in singing, clapping, waving hands, humming, shouting. clapping, waving, humming, shouting, and other distracting things are not worshiping God decently and in order. As 1 Corinthians 14.40 says. And like instrumental music, they are not authorized in our worship to God. But sadly, as long as those who come to worship enjoy the show and the entertainment, anything goes. And as we said, this is happening in congregations that call themselves churches of Christ. Here is a screenshot from the Monterey Church of Christ website in Lubbock, Texas. That's not Tennessee. Lubbock, Texas. And like other congregations, they're trying to cover all the bases and appeal to everyone. So they have two worship services on every Sunday. They have one at 8.30 a.m. and the other one at 10.45 a.m. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But their service schedule, when you pull it up, tells you that the 8.30 a.m. service is a cappella singing only, and the 10.45 a.m. service is instrumental music. So it's like Burger King. You can have it your own way, whichever one you like. And their website, as you can see on the screen, really pushes the instrumental music aspect. 
You know, the expectation and trend today in many churches is that sermons should be shorter, little sermonettes, warm, fuzzy, feel-good sermons, full of comedy, what I would call fluff. And the shorter the sermon, the better. So the people can have more time on the Lord's Day to go out and, guess what, entertain themselves. Today, anything in worship that can't be jazzed up is often being given up as boring, unappealing. That's one of the reasons why some religious groups don't partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday, every first day of the week as we're commanded. But they do it maybe once a month, once a quarter, or once a year because it takes too much time away from the entertainment. And it's too dark and, and depressing to be thinking about death and blood. The problem with this entertainment obsession in worship is that the very reason and object of worship is being forgotten and lost. I want you to pay attention to this next statement. Write it down if you need to. Here it is. True worship in spirit and in truth has an audience of one. God is the only audience in our worship. No one here today is part of the audience. No matter how important you may think you are, our worship must be directed to God, not to the likes and dislikes of the worshipers. Our worship is to be God-centered and not man-centered. And it's not to be entertainment-centered. In John 4, 24, Jesus said that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. To do that is to worship from the heart and to worship in exact obedience to God's instructions and commands, not according to our own likes or desires or preferences. God's regulations for worship as given in the New Testament are not boring or out of date. And they're designed and given to feed us spiritually. So, as we did in the first two sermons in this series, let's ask ourselves right now some probing questions for our own self-evaluation. And only you can answer these for yourself. Question number one. What are my favorite forms of entertainment? And how wholesome or unwholesome are they? Do I watch high quality, clean, wholesome movies? Which in case you haven't noticed are pretty hard to find. Do I listen to edifying music? and look for wholesome TV programs. You see, if the entertainment is unwholesome, then it doesn't belong in a Christian's life at all. Period. Question number two. How much time do I spend on entertainment? 
Is it an appropriate amount? Or has the little g-god of entertainment taken over? Question number, not yet. What other better uses of your time should you be giving attention to? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us some good guidance on the use of our time. Paul says this, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Look at this next part. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Question number three. To what do I show the most commitment, passion, and excitement. And be honest with your answer right here. Am I truly invested emotionally, physically, and otherwise in my relationship with God? Or is it my favorite sports team? Or my favorite hobbies and interests? or my favorite TV shows, my favorite social media, my favorite video games, or some other kind of entertainment. Question number four. What is affecting my character the most? Is pop culture today having a greater impact on my character, my goals, and my mindset than God and His Word. And question number five, am I addicted to entertainment? Am I addicted to sports or to my hobbies or to video games or to social media or to web browsing or binge watching TV shows and movies. You know, in the sermon last month on the God of food, we talked about fasting. Maybe fasting from some of our entertainment might be a good idea to see if anything is out of balance or out of control. Let's remember the promise of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If we need a rest from entertainment, Let's not forget that invitation right there from Jesus. Because in Jesus, we can find what we really need, which is rest for our souls. Today we've mentioned the word media several times. Here's a little acronym with the letters in the word media. M-E-D-I-A. It might be helpful to all of us as we think about and evaluate our forms of entertainment today. The M stands for message. What is the message in this activity? And how is it coming across? The E stands for effect. What effect will this activity have on me? The D stands for damage. Will I suffer damage from this activity? The I stands for instead. What could I be doing instead that's productive and constructive? And the A 
The A stands for ask God. Does this activity glorify God? Does God approve? In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The real thing that we are created for and that our desires point to is not found under the sun, but is found in heaven above. True life and joy and happiness are found only in God and serving hell. And just like Solomon, just like Solomon, everything else leaves us empty and lacking. This morning, if Christ is not the most important thing in your life, if you're not a part of God's family today, the church, then your life is empty and lacking. Christ invites you to accept his invitation today and come to him in faith, in repentance of your sins, in confession of his name, and then be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. And if you're a Christian today, but you've allowed the God of entertainment to take the place of Jehovah God in your life, then maybe you need to confess that and rededicate your life to Christ. So if you're subject today to the invitation in any way, we invite you to come. As together we stand and sing.